Merry Christmas. Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. It is Christmas season. Today, we're beginning a new series called Good News, Great Joy, because it is a time of good news and of great joy. It might not always feel like it, especially now. Our world is filled with so much bad news that maybe it seems like there can't really be joy, let alone great joy. But as we'll see over the next several weeks, what happened when Jesus came to earth transformed the world forever. And even when it feels like God is silent, joy comes when God breaks through. So let's get started with our new series. Here's Pastor Nicole. Merry Christmas. It is 20 days away. If you haven't started thinking about it, you might want to. Uh, I was thinking this morning, I actually had forgotten this, but um, a friend of mine mentioned that five years ago, this first Sunday of December, uh, was the first sermon I ever preached as the interim lead pastor at Erie First Assembly. And so, I thought you guys were just using me till you got the other guy. But little did we both know (laughs) that the Holy Spirit had a plan. And I just look back on the faithfulness and the goodness of God uh, and what he's done in the last five years in our church. I'm just so grateful. And so this whole month is really a time of reflection on the very first coming of Christ. In fact, we call it Advent. And the word Advent is a Latin word that means coming. Advent is this idea that for these four weeks before Christmas, we set aside as a time of expectant waiting and preparation for the celebration of Jesus's birth. And so it's also a time to wrap presents and figure out what you're going to bring to Christmas dinner and get all of that set. But it's not just for that, right? For a Christian, it's this idea that we are preparing our hearts to remember the very first coming of Jesus because he's coming again right? He's coming again. And we need to keep our hearts prepared and ready for that season. And so that's what we're going to be doing for these next several Sundays. And the goal will be to worship God for all he's done, dwell on this remarkable first Christmas, uh, which we've done so well this morning. And so our messages in December are all going to come from the gospel of Luke chapters one and two. So here's your homework. I want to encourage you to read those chapters on your own. You might say, Pastor Nicole, I've read them before. I know. <laughs> read them again. All right. Maybe read them in a different version. Uh, read them with your family. Uh, commit some verses to memory. Maybe share your favorite on your social media outlet. Here's the idea. I want us to ingest the first advent so it doesn't get to be January 2nd and we think, oh man, December was so busy that we missed it, right? We don't want to miss it. Let's not miss it this year. And so I want to encourage you, read Luke 1 and 2. Just give me a nod if you're like, all right, pastor, I'll try. I'll give him my best shot. Maybe you're a listener. You just listen to the word of God. That's amazing too. You can get that on all kinds of Bible apps. So I want to encourage you. Another thing, to be proactive and sharing the message of Christmas to people that you love and people in your life. So we have some booklets here. They're called The Story of Christmas. It has um, an explanation of Christmas and all the promises of Christmas. And this is a really incredibly easy way for you to share Christmas with your friends. Take one of these on your way out there at the tables as you exit. You can even write a little note in the front and say, I'm praying for you or whatever it is their situation is. Leave it with them. And we pray the Holy Spirit will get them to read it. And also we have um, invitations for Christmas Eve, which is going to be a great time together. We're going to gather at two and four. There's rumor there could be confetti. 
I don't know. We might have foreshadowed that in the picture. Um, But we're going to get together. We're going to have a great time celebrating Jesus. So make sure you make plans for that and take a few of these on your way out. Sound good? All right. I am so excited uh, through this season of good news and great joy. And so let's just take a minute. Just let's give God some thanks in advance for what I believe he's already going to do through you. Good. So I want to start today at the end. Okay, I want to start at the end of the Old Testament. And the very last words of the last book of the Old Testament reads this. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Okay. So after these words, these were the very last words of the Old Testament, God was very quiet. In fact, he went totally radio silent. And God never forgot his people. He was never very far away. God never took his faithful hand off of the world. But for 400 years, the prophetic voices speaking on God's behalf went utterly silent. No prophets, no miracles, no angelic appearances. And this passage in Malachi shows us how God assured his people that he would send Elijah to Israel again before the end of time. In fact, in anticipation of this prophecy during the 400 years of silence, many Jewish homes would literally set a place at the table for Elijah at their Passover meal. Okay, so imagine your Thanksgiving meal or your Christmas meal, right? You would literally set another place at the table, a plate, a cup, a chair, and you would say, I'm just going to leave this here in case God sends the Messiah this time. I'm just going to make sure that we're ready as a family, that if the Messiah walks in my front door, I have a place setting for them and a drink for them. And they did that just in case he might come, just in case they were ready. That empty chair and that full cup that was never drank was a testimony to the anticipation of Elijah's coming. Now listen, that's faith, right? I mean, that's faith. Some of you don't even set a place at your table for your uncle who you know is always late. (laughs) Okay, and that's like, that's a person that you know their phone number. Okay, this is faith, generation after generation, expecting God's promises to be true, wanting and believing for the Messiah to come, literally pulling up a chair, literally filling up a cup. So in Luke 1, uh, we're about to see that 400 years of deafening silence completely shatter. We're about to watch God burst back into the scene, fulfilling all of his promises, the way that he always does. But before I read Luke 1, as I was studying the scripture, the Holy Spirit said, wait, don't go too fast. Don't go too fast. Because the first takeaway that we actually have before we even read the text, the first applicable point is found in the silence. What do you do when you can't see God? What do you do when you can't hear God or you can't feel God? What is your typical response when there seems to be a period of inactivity, when God is not moving the way you expected to him, when there's a season of silence in your life spiritually, what do you do? Well, the Jewish people showed us what we should do. He showed us how to respond to silence. The Jewish people set a place at the table and filled up a cup. 
They said, have great faith and anticipation that God is faithful and he will never fail you. And he came once at Christmas and he's coming again. And if he says he's going to show up, he will. That God will always accomplish his purpose. That God is sovereign over all of history. That God is in charge. That God is always on schedule. You can get a little excited about this. <laughs> I hope it's making your heart leap a little bit this morning. Because here's the reminder. Even if you're in a season of silence, you should set a place at the table and fill up a cup. Because God does who he, what he says he's going to do. And, and every promise he has made will come true. Yeah, just thank God for that truth this morning. Go ahead. So good. All right, so now we can actually get to Luke 1. Let's start in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. I looked up how to say that, just so you know. <laughs> His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron, and both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Okay, so this tells us Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're from the tribe of Levi in Israel. Zechariah was a priest, uh, but not a, one of great renown. I mean, he wasn't very popular, but specifically he was a country priest. Now, if you were like me, when I first read that, I was thinking of like cowboy boots and a hat, but I think it's a little different than that. He, he was a country priest, but interestingly, he married Elizabeth, who was the equivalent of a pastor's daughter. He was, she was a priest's daughter. And so they were very righteous before God. Um, they were the real deal. Both Zechariah and Elizabeth had a real heart for ministry, and they were a very committed spiritual couple. But verse 7 tells us a little bit more, adds some details. It says they were childless, and they were both very old. Now, having children back then was different culturally than it is now. Uh, there was this tremendous stigma attached to being without children. In fact, many people thought if a woman was infertile, they were suffering the judgment of God because of some sin that she had committed, which is obviously so untrue, obviously full of error. But at that time, the community, the culture projected those false beliefs on women who were childless. And so while some people were judging or scoffing or questioning Elizabeth's faith, God was working on a miracle because God was about to give them a child, not just any child. He was going to give them a prophet for a child, not just any prophet. He was going to give them the greatest prophet who ever lived, who would come in the spirit of Elijah and would fulfill a 400 year old prophecy that the whole world was waiting for. Elizabeth was about to give birth to John the Baptist. And when I read that scripture this week, the Lord just so clearly, the Holy Spirit told me, you know what? When we're waiting, God is preparing. When we're being questioned and criticized, God is paying attention. When it's silent, God has not left. And the prayers of Zechariah and Elizabeth are about to be answered in a way that they could never, ever dream. Okay, are you on the edge of your seat? Because here we are. Pretend you've never heard this before, okay? Verse eight. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Okay, so let me give you some context on this. Two weeks of the year, priests took a shift at the temple. 
Okay, so they, they would also go on special occasions. But Zechariah, he lived in the country, but when it was his assigned time, he would go to the city and he would take care of the temple. Now, there were about 18 to 25,000 priests at the time. Okay, so there's a lot of priests. And so some priests, when it was their two weeks, they got to clean the porta potty. Okay, like that was their job. They got to pick up around the building, right? They got to, to, to make sure that, that everything was good. Some priests had various capacities. Only very, very few got to go into the temple because you only needed so many people to do the sacrifices. I think it was even more competitive than a fantasy football draft, if you can believe it, okay? I mean, you as a priest, you really hoped that you would get an important task when it was your two weeks of the year. In fact, not every priest even got to enter the temple once in their life. I mean, there were just too many. And so if you were chosen, you got to go in one time and it was a big deal. It was a high, incredible honor. And so here's Zechariah, he's an old man. He probably wondered if he would ever get inside the temple for one of his shifts in his lifetime. I mean, it had been a lot of years and he hadn't been picked yet and not everyone gets picked. And so these verses show us that Zechariah's name got chosen by lot to burn incense in the temple. So let me tell you what that means. What is casting lots? You might've heard that in the Bible before. Well, Bible scholars believe, uh, I have a picture here, that back then they would gather smooth stones or sticks. They would distinguish them by color or symbols and they would essentially throw the stones and whatever the predetermined sign was would indicate the answer. Or maybe they would shoot an arrow and whichever circle it landed would make the decision. Okay, so you thought casting lots was like this big spiritual significant thing. Nope, it was pretty much like sh shooting an arrow in the dark, okay? They just, they, it was as if they were throwing the dice. That would be a, a contemporary culture thing or flipping a quarter or, um, you know, drawing names out of a hat. In fact, the word lottery comes from the same root word as casting lots. And you know, lottery is a random choosing of numbers to award money to a winner. Okay, so that's literally, casting lots was completely by chance. So there is a detail in the middle of these verses that I, I literally can't stop thinking about because I really believe it's life-changing. It's, it's course-altering. There's a detail in the middle of Luke 1 in these three verses, and I want to show you, and I need you to act excited, okay? Because I, this is like blowing my mind this week, all right? So in verses 8 through 9, it says that Zechariah was chosen by lot to go into the temple this one specific particular time. Here's what the Holy Spirit showed me this week. This means that every other time for decades, when the lot had been cast, God in his sovereignty made sure it never fell into Zechariah's favor. That every other time, his name that would be in the running to be the priest who gets to go inside the temple, God himself made sure he lost. <laughs> because what was gonna happen is every priest only gets one shot and God was working on a plan so big that Zechariah wasn't allowed to be picked uh, several years ago. He needed to wait till his one time when God was ready to give out the whole plan of salvation for humanity. And so can you imagine every time the lots are cast, Zechariah goes home disappointed. Oh, not me again. Zechariah is praying, Lord, please let me maybe be inside the temple this time. And he's not chosen. His prayers are going unanswered. And every time Zechariah is wondering, well, what am I doing wrong? Like, what is it about my life that, that God, I'm devote to you. I'm doing everything that you asked me to do. Yet God is actually working out perfectly the plan of salvation for all of humanity through Zechariah's felt disappointment. 
Zechariah wasn't being picked to go into the temple because God didn't hear him. Zechariah wasn't being not picked to go into the temple because God wasn't listening. God was listening. Not because God didn't like him. Oh, God loved him. It's certainly not because Zechariah wasn't working hard enough or a good enough priest. God had a plan bigger and better than what Zechariah could ever see or know in front of him. You know, it's one thing to look back and say, oh God, I see your faithfulness in my life. I see how you worked out all these things. And I think it's valiant to trust God for your future and believe that God, you're gonna figure this all out. I trust you. But you know what I think the most difficult thing to do is trust God's sovereign plan in the now, in the today, when that door is still closed when that season is still silent, when you keep walking away from a situation thinking you've prayed enough that you're going to get that breakthrough and now you're like, well, I guess it's just not for me. I guess I must be doing something wrong. I guess I haven't lived up to the standard that God wanted me to. I guess he's not hearing me. I guess he's not listening. But do you trust God's plan for right now? Do you believe that he has what you need for today? And closed doors and seasons of silence do not indicate that God is not working. Don't translate unfulfilled dreams and hopes as God not working on your behalf. Because if Zechariah could come here today, if he could testify to you about that day, this is what he would tell you, that you never know what God is setting up. You never know when an angel is about to break through the atmosphere and meet you in the middle of the temple. So let's read Luke 1, 11. Then an angel of the Lord appears to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Man, Zechariah's first temple experience does not disappoint, okay? An angel shows up. That doesn't happen to everybody. Zechariah meets an angel in there. And that angel says, listen, he calls Zechariah straight by name. And he says, I know that you're childless and barren and disappointed and confused. But God's going to send you a son. And not just any son. Your son is going to break the 400 years of silence that the whole earth is experiencing. And you should name him John. And he's going to be special. And he's going to be unique. And he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit in utero. All right, so let's read verse 14. It says, He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Okay, remember, uh, Zechariah is a priest. He's been teaching Malachi all his life. He's been teaching the people. Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6 that I read to you a few moments ago. And so the angel is literally quoting this Old Testament uh, prophecy. And he's saying, listen, the, the angel's saying, do you remember? You've been teaching everybody to set the place at the table and fill up the cup because I'm coming. Well, guess what? I'm coming and I'm coming through you. Can you imagine Zechariah's brain just like literally exploding in the temple? Like, wait a minute. Uh, what? What? Because I went into the temple thinking I could never have a child. 
And now this baby boy will be the forerunner for Jesus. He will preach repentance. He will create a desire and expectancy for the gospel. And this good news, this son named John, the angel says, will bring joy. He will bring joy because after John comes the greatest gift for all of humanity, Jesus. And that theme of rejoicing and gladness is repeated over and over through Luke's gospel. And you know what? I think one of the reasons it is is because uh, there was 400 years of silence. They were, they were kind of down and out. They were probably starting to question, how many generations can your grandma and your great-grandma and your great-great-grandma say that, that something is going to happen and you start to, to fade away with how to believe? And Jesus says, look, we're going to break through in Luke 1, and with that is going to come joy and gladness and, and great joy for all the people and, and an even bigger joy. And not just joy like Elizabeth and, and Zechariah are going to like kiss their little cute baby and smile when they coo and speak barf all over you. And you know, like that's all adorable, right? When they're little, not just that kind of joy, but this, this, this eschatological joy, this joy that, that they've been waiting for. The entire world has been waiting for the arrival of the Messiah. Like this isn't just joy that fades away when the kid doesn't get as cute. This is joy that's going to come and it's going to be part, it's going to birth out of the church and it's going to give us and show us that what Jesus said would happen, what God said would happen is happening. That what he says is true. And I just love this moment in the temple because isn't this just like our father? That when he breaks through the darkness, it's all joy. It's rejoicing. It's hope. And this morning, I just wonder how many of you would say, you know what? I need joy today. Like I need a, I need a breakthrough of joy. It, it's been a hard season or I don't even know why I'm feeling so low or God's been silent and I, I just don't fully understand what he's doing but I need a breakthrough of joy. You know, on the night Jesus was born to Mary, an angel appeared to her too. We're going to talk about that more in detail next week. But in Luke 2.10, the angel says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And John the Baptist was just the forerunner for the king. When Jesus came in the manger, that was the fullness of joy that, that would be born. And I love the joy that is coming along with the Savior. Once we have come into relationship with Jesus, no joy, that joy can't be taken away. That's not circumstantial joy. John 16, talks about this. It says, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. And I just love this. The skeptics, the scoffers, they can't take away your joy. The critics and the trolls on social media, they can't take away your joy. That doctor with the biopsy report can't take away your joy. Your, your difficult spouse can't take away your joy. Your, your straying children can't take away your joy. The political climate, school shootings, unemployment, racial injustice, financial disaster, theological controversies, COVID-19, <laughs> unfulfilled dreams, the memories of your own failure. Listen, nothing, no one. Add to that list what you're dealing with. Nothing can take away your joy because God comes and he breaks through the darkness just like he did for Zechariah and he brings joy, not just emotional joy, but this deep rooted hope that basically says, listen, the fact is that Jesus has come and Jesus is coming again and his promises are true and we know how the story ends and there's victory and hope 
And that's why we sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. Everything else is a hot mess, but the Lord has come. And we believe that because of that, we can hold joy. Let earth receive her King and let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. And so here's how we're gonna end today. I'm just gonna ask you in just a minute right now, just all across this room, if you would just say, you know what? I just need a breakthrough of joy. Like maybe I've been following God for a long time or, or maybe I, I, I'm dealing with a, a tough situation or the holidays are just extra hard for me, but I just need a breakthrough of joy and not the kind of joy that anything can take away. I just want that. And, I, and once you raise your hand, I'm just gonna pray over you. I'm just gonna pray for a fresh jo- dose of joy into this Christmas season. And so right now, would you just raise your hand? Just right where you're at, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. And you would say, I just need some joy all over this room. All right, keep your hand up. Let me pray for you right now. Jesus, I thank you that you are our joy, that it doesn't come from circumstances, it doesn't come from things around us, but God, you are our joy. I thank you that you break through the darkness. I thank you that nothing can take it from us. I thank you that you meet us in the most unlikely and unexpected circumstances. And I pray all over this room for a breakthrough of joy into the hearts of those who raise their hands right now, just that act of faith that they raise their hands, that you even now would well up joy inside of them. We know the scripture says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so today we declare, we ask for more joy. Joy to overcome the silence, joy to overcome the disappointment, joy to flood in and change us. God, would you do what only you can do? We can't muster it up inside of us, but God, you can give it to us. And so Lord, with our hands raised, we ask for it today. More joy. We just say amen this morning, if you agree with me, amen. Hallelujah. I want you to listen to this song that Um, Allison actually wrote, this is an original song that talks about making room for an unexpected king around Christmas.
understand. God, we thank you, Lord, that you bring joy to the world. We pray that we could in turn celebrate you and tell others about who you are. It's in your awesome name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, grab some booklets on your way out today. Get those in the hands of some people that need to hear about Christmas and have a great week. See you Sunday. Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and share it with your friends. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram or visit eriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.